Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's all stand together. Just remain standing for a moment. We're going to get into the Word of God. We've been on a series called Navigating the Unknown, as Matt said. And You know, I don't know what my tomorrow holds. I know who holds it, but I don't know what it holds. And neither do you, really. Uh, James said we make uh, plans. We're going to do this and this tomorrow. But he said none of us know what tomorrow is going to hold for us. If you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 15. So we're taking Israel through the journey. They're going through the unknown. They don't know really where they're going. They haven't been there before. And I want to pick it up at verse 22. And I'd like for you to read together with me. They're going to put it on the screens, I think. So here we go. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Turn to your neighbor and say, you might learn something today. Now turn back to him and say, it's about time. me, I want to bring some new things and some old things out today. How many of you know the Bible says anybody who's a scribe in the kingdom should bring forth old things and new things? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We love you. We exalt you. Open our ears to hear, our heart to receive. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. It was Julian Smith who said, going into the unknown is how you expand what is known. You can never know the unknown until you go into the unknown. Moses and Israel is on a journey into the unknown. They have not been there. They're traveling there. God's helping them. When I think about the unknown, just in in my uh, mind, I think about uncertainty. It speaks of adventure in some way. It speaks of change. The unknown is removing ourselves from the familiar and the predictable, and to enter the unknown, we must travel with more faith and less fear. So you have to have faith to go into the unknown, and that was one of the things that really hindered them for 40 years. And I want to catch you up on the journey. So we read this passage, but here's the journey. God, with a strong hand of miracles, signs, and wonders, brought them out of Egypt. There were the plagues of the blood and the frogs and the flies and the lice and the cattle dying and all these things happening and finally the death of the firstborn and then they put the blood over the door and God began to deliver them with a strong, mighty hand. 
and then they leave. They spoil the Egyptians, they leave, they're headed to uh, the promised land, and they get trapped between the Egyptian army who's pursuing them and also the Red Sea. That's a tough predicament, isn't it? You get in the twixt and between. And then the Lord told Moses to lift up your hand, lift up the rod, and we know the waters parted, and they went across on dry land. But here's the thing. The Egyptians tried to pursue them, tried to follow them. This is what I know. The devil can't always follow you where you're going. So here he's trying to pursue them, trying to follow them. And when they get to the other side, then they begin to look at the pursuit of the Egyptians. And then the Lord had Moses to stretch his hand back over the Red Sea. And in the middle of that channel where the waters parted, here's the entire Egyptian army. And when he lifted up his hands to the rod again, the Bible says the waters went back to their original depth. And all of the Egyptian army is now destroyed. And they begin to see the deliverance of Almighty God in a very supernatural, supernatural way. Verse 30, let me read that to you just to kind of get us up to speed. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Their, their bodies begin to wash up on the shore. Now that sounds a little gruesome, but if these people have been <laughs> keeping you in captivity for uh, 400 years, it may not have been as sad as what you think it might have been. Okay, let's move on. One enemy destroyed, and now they face another enemy. Let me tell you a story. I've shared this with you before, but about three-fourths of you have not heard this. I was raised on a farm and a ranch. Carrie and I still, still live out in the country. And many years ago, we, we had a cow that died. And it was about this time of the year, middle of the summer, you know, 105 degrees. And when a cow dies in the middle of summer in Oklahoma, how many of you know, it just blows up. And, and the, the smell and the stench and all the things that happen right before lunch, this is good, isn't it? So this cow's blown up, and I mean, it's really putrefying. So my brother Steve and, and his son Drew decide they're going to get the backhoe, and they're, they're going to dig a hole. They're going to bury the cow. So the ground is hard, obviously, and our equipment's not really all that good. And so they dig the hole, and while they're trying to put the cow, shove the cow into the hole, it falls funny. And you can imagine the splat it makes... And all the things that goes on with it, the, the odor, the smell, and, and the, the sight. And when it fell funny, one of its legs went straight up out of the hole. So no one was wanting to reposition the leg. So they just put dirt over the hole and buried the cow with one leg sticking straight up. So their wise decision is to take an empty feed sack and just slide it over the leg of the dead cow. And so my dad, a few days later, maybe a week later, he decides, he's going through this pasture, decides he's going to look at where they buried the cow. And, and so he, he sees a feed sack standing straight up, blowing in the wind, but not moving. And he decides, like Moses, I'll turn aside and see this thing. And so he, when he got there, he lifted the sack, and there is a dead cow's leg sticking up out of the ground, and he just slides it back over thinking, my sons, and then goes on his way. Now, I said all that to say this, they have defeated an external army, 
And now they're going to have to deal with the internal enemy. Sometimes there's an enemy in me. Sometimes we deal with the external, but it's not the external that's always keeping us into bondage because they're free from the external, but still they're having to deal with some things that's internal in them. And we ask the question, you know, why is God bringing them to this place of bitter waters? Now, one of the things that we know about this internal enemy that sometimes rises up in my life and your life, the Apostle Paul deals with it in the book of Romans. And I want to take you on just a little bit of journey here. In chapter 6, he calls it the weakness of our flesh. Then in chapter 7, he deals with it over and over again. And let me give you some snippets here. Verse 5, he says, the flesh arouses our sinful passions and desires. Verse 23 says it wars against us and tries to bring us into what? Captivity. They've gotten out of captivity, but you have to watch that what is internal in you could keep you into captivity. Now you might say, Pastor Mike, I'm trying to get the victory. No, listen, when you got saved, you got the victory. We're fighting from a position of victory, not trying to get the victory. Does that make sense? Now, when we go into this warfare, if you will, it's not just an external warfare, it's an internal thing. We have escaped the the outside or the external, but then we have to deal with the internal and we have to deal with it all the time. And you have to deal with it. And I have to deal with it. You know, sometimes it just kind of rises up in our life. And when we look at this, we have to realize that it doesn't just always go away. You have to deal with it. I have to deal with it. And if you think you're not dealing with it, you're not dealing with it. Because when that flesh rises up, you can't cast it out. You can cast out demons, but you can't cast out the works of the flesh. Let me tell you how you get rid of the works of the flesh. It has to be killed. And this is what the Word says, that we have to crucify the flesh, the affections and the lusts thereof. So we have to crucify it. And I'd love to tell you that you can just do it one time and it's over with. But this is what the Word says. He, he says, I have to die daily. And you have to die daily. And so we have to deal with that fight or that condition, if you will. And now they're free from the bondage externally from Egypt. And then God is taking them on another journey. Look with me here. I want to just give you some components of this Mara experience here. The first thing I want to share with you is the celebration doesn't last forever. Because chapter 15 starts with celebration. So if you're on this journey and these people are pursuing you and you think they're going to overrun you and you're going to die and you're telling your commander-in-chief where there are no graves in Egypt, we should have just stayed back there because they're going to come out here and they're going to kill every one of us. But then they see God do a miracle. He, he, he submerges the whole Egyptian army at one time. Boom, they're gone. And then the song of Moses begins. The Lord has gloriously triumphed here. He has thrown both horse and rider into the sea. And this long song of Moses, this prophetic song goes on. And then Miriam and the damsels and the women take up the timbrels and they begin to dance and shout. They begin to proclaim the victory. It's celebration and they should be celebrating. It's the thing to do. They are doing what they should be doing. 
But then they come to the waters of Mara. The celebration doesn't last forever. Now, the second thing I want to ask you is how do you deal with the next adversity in your life? This is what I found out. You overcome one thing, there's another thing in the wings waiting. You overcome this problem, there's another one on the horizon. I think it was Dr. Norman Vincent Peale says that the only people who don't have problems are the ones in the cemeteries. And then he says, and there's a few of them who have big problems. Can I hear an amen? So we, we have to deal with this stuff because, you know, one thing is over, we celebrate, then all of a sudden something else comes. There's a new challenge. There, there's a new problem. There's a new uh, issue that we're dealing with. And so now they're celebrating the destruction of the Israeli, I mean the Egyptian army, the Israelis are celebrating, and now they come to the waters of Mara. And, and I want to ask you the question, why did God bring them there? I mean, why are they there? Well, the answer is actually found in chapter 15, verse 25. Therefore he tested them. Say that with me. Therefore he tested them. He proved them there. He intentionally brought them there. Now, this word is spelled N-A-S-A, -S -A, like NASA. But it's pronounced a little bit differently in the Hebrew. But this is what it means. It means to test, to prove, to try, to assay. Now, we don't use that last word much, assay, but if you're in the precious metal business, to assay something is to value it and determine how pure it is. So if you take metal and you assay it, or you're a refiner or a dealer in that, then you take the metal and you heat it up. And once you heat it up, you'll see the purity of that metal because the impurities will begin to rise to the top. And then that assayer will begin to skim those impurities off. And they say that refiner, the way he knows in ancient times how pure the metal is, the gold, the silver, whatever, is when he skims all the impurities out, he begins to see his reflection in the molten metal. And therefore, if we can become the image of Christ, when he can be, be seeing his image in us, then we know something good is happening, right? So why did he bring them there? To prove them, to try them, to assay them, to take the impurities out of them. Now notice this, verse 21, they're singing. By verse 24, they're complaining. Okay. How many verses are between those? Three. They go from singing to complaining. How human they are. They go from singing to complaining. Did you see how fast it happened? We can go from rejoicing to murmuring. We can go from rejoicing and celebrating to complaining and griping and grumbling. I mean, listen, this is exactly what happened here. They are changing very quickly. Now, the reason he's got them there is what to test them, to prove them. Now, this word that's used here is the word murmur or complaining, depending on what translation you have. But I want to give you the original meaning of that. It's more than just complaining. The idea is stopping. It is halting the journey. We're complaining, but the progress of the journey has stopped here. See, murmuring complaining tends to keep us in our current condition. We, we don't move on. We stop there, and we don't solve the issue. We just complain about the issue. Okay, let me preach this group over here. We, we, we're not solving anything. We're just complaining about it. Right. 
Well, what are you doing to solve it? Nothing. I'm just going to gripe and I'm going to complain about it. I'm going to murmur about it. So we need to move from griping, complaining, murmuring to solution. So they're just, they're just murmuring, they're griping, they're complaining. Now, this is something that I want you to catch, so don't throw anything at me here. So if I go to another chapter here, chapter 16, and I go to verse number 8, this, this group here is notorious for complaining, murmuring, and griping. I mean, for 40 years. For 40 years. And Moses gets so sick and tired of it. And I'm going to tell you the truth, not that I would never tell you the truth. There comes a day in his life, he says, Lord, just kill me. Put me out of my misery. These are not my kids. I'm not the one who started this. So if I have to listen to them one more time, just take me out. Boy, that's pretty tough, isn't it? But here's the thing. In verse 8 of that chapter, he says, listen, guys, I don't know if you know this, but all this griping and complaining and murmuring you're doing, it's not to me. Ultimately, it's to the Lord. So, you know what I'm doing? I'm thinking about this, and I think, you know what? Sometimes I've griped and I've complained and I've murmured, and I'm going to have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've griped too much. I've complained too much. I've murmured too much. Listen, I'm going to quit saying this, and I'm going to start solving this. I'm going to quit complaining about this. I'm going to start solving this. Can I hear an amen? So we have to watch. So, so what can we learn from this Mar experience? Let me just give you a few things this morning. It's not the end of the journey. Have you ever felt like, man, this is the end? I'm not going to get through this. I'm done. You know, stick a fork in me. I'm done. When they come to Mar, they have to realize this is not the end of the journey. And folks, I don't know what you're going through today, and maybe you're in a bitter place in your life. And maybe you're in a very tough place in your life. But let me say this to you. It's not the end of the journey. They think they have come here, and this is the end for them, because there's no water, but it's not the end of the journey. It's a place of testing and proving. It's exactly what God said. I'm going to test you there. I'm going to prove you there. The waters are bitter, but they're not lethal. They're bitter, but not lethal. This is not going to kill you. The test you're in right now is not going to kill you. The trial you're in is not going to kill you. The challenge you have today is not going to kill you. It's bitter, but it's not lethal. You can drink the water. I'm going to test you there. I'm going to prove something to you there. But this is not lethal, but it is bitter. I'm going to guess there's a lot of people here going through some bitter things right now. I've gone through bitter things. You've gone through bitter things. But let me tell you, it's not lethal. Years ago, Jamie Buckingham did a, a study on the waters of Mar. They actually went to the Middle East to try to find the waters of Mara. I went back and re-watched this uh, this morning, early in the morning, and he took a group of people there and they found pools of water there that were turquoise, that were, that were actually lovely and clear. And you would think this has got to be the place because they tested the waters, and guess what? The waters were bitter. But it looked like a great place to be. And they found out the reason the waters were bitter. In Oklahoma, we have a saying. Have you ever heard of jip water? How many have ever heard of jip water? 
Okay, you're true Oklahomans and Texans right there. About a mile from my house, if you go east, there's a place there where you can d drill a well and you can get water, but it smells funny and it tastes funny. It won't kill you, but it smells funny and it tastes funny. And this is what's happening here at Mar. The, the, the water's not lethal, but it is bitter. And, and they found out why it was bitter, because they took a sample of the water and they tested the water. And they found out the reason the water was bitter because it had high concentration of certain minerals. And the highest concentration of the minerals was calcium and magnesium. Now, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll go to a pharmacy and they have something on the shelf. And you think calcium and magnesium, say that with me, calcium and magnesium, they, they have a bottle of that at the store. It's called milk of magnesium. So not only did God want to get them out of Egypt, he wanted to get Egypt out of them. This, this is a potty stop. God said, I brought you here to get Egypt out of you because I'm going to put you on a kosher diet. What you're eating is killing you in Egypt, and this is going to be different for you. And so I'm going to be the Lord that heals you. This is the first time that you see this line in the Bible. We'll talk about it here in just a minute. So he, he says that I want to bring you here to drink from the bitter waters, not lethal waters, but bitter. And I want to get you out of Egypt, but I want to get Egypt out of you. You see, there's some things in you and I that sometimes we've got to get out of us. That old dang leg every once in a while rises from the grave. Come on now. It's like a horror story. You married the sweet lady and all of a sudden the dead legs ticks up. You married this guy and he's Mr. Wonderful, but every once in a while a dead leg sticks up. Oh, y'all are so holy. And every once in a while, that old dead leg sticks up out of you. And you show your dead rear. Not just your leg. You know why? Because we're dealing with some internal things. God's got us out of the external, but we're dealing with the internal. Paul said, I had to deal with it. I have to deal with it. Guess what? You have to deal with it. So he brings there to get some things out of them. Verse 26, I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha. Now, the Lord has a solution to this bitterness. The solution to the bitterness is, Moses, you need to cut down a tree and put in the water, and the tree will heal the waters. Isn't that amazing? Of anything he could have put in that pool, anything he could put in that water, it was a tree. Let me tell you something. The tree symbolically is healing the bitterness of life, showing us that a few thousand years in the future, there's going to be a tree that's going to solve the bitterness of life. Do you know the cross is called the tree? And there on the tree, Jesus died. He, he bled. They, they gaped him open. He is abused. He is beaten. But there at the tree, that bitterness begins to be solved in our life. In your life, in my life. You see, it's at the tree, there is the sweetness that comes out of the tree even though it's very bitter. And see, the solution in verse 25 is the tree. Now, verse 27, God only, not only wants to test you, 
but he wants to rest you. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? God wants to test me and rest me. Look at verse number 27. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they kept there by the waters. You see, God doesn't always keep you in the proving mode or the testing mode or the assaying mode or the trial mode. He gives you respite. He gives you rest. Because you and I can't always stay there, can we? After we're being proved and tested, then God rests us. So he brought them to Elam. Notice this. There's 12 wells of water. How many tribes are there? There's 12. Can you imagine they're stretched out in their hammocks in the palm trees? Drinking pina coladas, non-alcoholic, of course. <laughs> you see, we need rest. And we need the refreshing of the Lord. I know we'll go through trials. I know we'll go through testing. God's going to test your metal. He's going to test mine. But then there's times he says, I need you to rest. I'm going to cause the weary to what? West, rest. We've got to have some times of refreshing, some times of rest. So, so what can I learn personally from this experience that they had? Listen, this is not something that happened thousands of years ago that doesn't apply to you. The things written up for time were written for our learning. Do you believe that? So in my time of testing, my time of bitterness, is there something I can learn? Let me give you very quickly four. Can I start the sermon now? I got 14 minutes. So what do I personally gain from knowing what we just learned? Number one, I can learn a greater dependence on God. I can learn a greater dependence on God. You see, this is what we say. Hey, I've got this. I, I can handle this. I I'm a self-made person. Then when we look at you, we think, yeah, you are a self-made person. <laughs> Shoddy work. So we have to realize that we, we have dependence on God. Our ultimate dependence is on God. There's no way they could have been rescued by themselves. No way they could have escaped Egypt by themselves. No way they could have crossed the water by themselves. No way they could escape the Egyptian army by themselves. Every step of the way, they had to be totally dependent on Almighty God. You can't be saved by yourself. You can't get better by yourself. The next best version of you will not be by yourself. It will be by the help of God. I have to learn that my dependence is on God and I have a greater dependence on God. And you would think the older that we get, we would think, yeah, I got this. I've seen this, bought this t-shirt and the hat. But I'll guarantee you, it doesn't make any difference how old you are. You can be 99 years old and you say, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that happening. And you parents, listen, you may say this, my kids would never do that. You naive parents. My son would never do that. My, my child would never do that. My grandkids would never do that. My husband would never do that. My wife would never do that. Hello? Yeah. It's that dead leg sticking out every once in a while. So what do we do? We have to realize that our dependence is on God. The second thing, I, I see a greater revelation of God. 
you know, these people who'd been in bondage for 400 years, they could have done like Gideon. Oh, yeah, we've heard about the miracles of God. We've heard the stories. We heard about Adam and Eve. We heard about creation. We heard about Noah. We heard about our father Abraham. But for 400 years, we hadn't seen much of nothing. And now all of a sudden, this guy who looks like a Bedouin shepherd walks into town with a staff in his hand and he throws it down in Pharaoh's court and honey, things have never been the same since then. Because there was a greater revelation of God. They begin to see God do things they had never seen before. They had seen God part the sea, something that had never happened before. They begin to see God do the signs, the wonders, and the miracles they had never seen before. They begin to see a greater revelation of God. And so when you see and, and you think you've seen it all, guess what? Honey, God's not finished yet. This is just part of the journey. It's just part of the journey. It, it gives me a greater revelation of God. And when I think that I can never see, or, or this would never happen, guess what? We're naive. I raised a couple of good boys. Not perfect. And uh, they had their issues and they still got them. That they got for their mother. (laughs) I remember one Saturday, we were getting ready to go work, build fence and course, Saturday morning, they're piled up on the couch and they're watching television. And I walked through the house and I said, boys, get your clothes on, we're going to go build fence. And they said, Daddy, we don't want to go build fence. I said, neither do I. But it's not going to get built unless we go build it. Aaron, he would say, I'm going to go out with my friends, we're all going to go to the movies. I said, that's fine. And then Carrie and I would drive to the movies and sit in the parking lot to make sure they walked out. Ronald Reagan said this about the Russians, trust but verify. (laughs) You've never snuck out of the house, have you? You've never skipped school. You never told your parents a lie. Sometimes we just need a greater revelation. Here's the third thing. I, I gain a deeper relationship with God. I, I gain a deeper relationship with God because I begin to see God like I've never seen Him before. I begin to experience Him like I've never experienced Him before. I begin to see things that I've never seen before. The, the fourth thing is I have to acknowledge that He has my best interest in mind. He has my best interest in mind. Let me tell you something. Your Heavenly Father has your best interest in mind. And sometimes we don't think that's true. God, why am I at this bitter place? You're making me drink this bitter water. And let me tell you why. God is saying, I have your best interest in mind. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But I'm telling you, I've got your best interest in mind. Sometimes my children did not think I had their best interest in mind. But I've never done anything with them or for them or to them that I didn't have their best interest in mind. When I took them out to work to learn how to work and get a work ethic, I had their best interest in mind. 
when I said you need to be home at this time. You don't need to go with that group. You need to go with this group. I had their best interest in mind. I'm not trying to be the fuddy-duddy, the overbearing dad, but I am their father and I have their best interest in mind. And your Heavenly Father has your best interest in mind. And sometimes we can't see His hand. We have to trust His heart. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts not our thoughts. But I promise you, He has your best interest in mind. Amen. God, why are you bringing us to this bitter place? Because I have your best interest in mind. There's some things you need to get out of you. There's some healing that needs to happen in your life. So today, if you're at that bitter place and you say, God, why am I here? Then you have to by faith say, God, you have my best interest in mind. I don't understand it all, don't know it all, can't figure it out, but you're God and you have my best interest in mind. You see, this is not the only place, this is not the only passage where God said, you drink the waters that you, want, you don't want to drink. This is not the only place where he says you drink the bitter water. You see, a few years later, several years later, decades later, centuries later, there'll be someone in a garden that is asked to drink from a bitter cup. And he said, Father, if it's possible, let this bitter cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And there was someone in that garden that drank that bitter cup. And you say, why? Because God has our best interest in mind. And as soon as he drank the bitter cup, he went to the tree. And him going to the tree took our bitterness away from our life. Isn't that amazing? That he drank from that bitter water. And he went to that tree that was cast into that bitter water. And on that tree... He took the bitterness of sin and the stain of sin and the power of sin and the effect of sin out of our life. And so today, we are not trying to get the victory. We're walking in a position of victory because God has your best interest in mind. And I don't know where you're at today. Listen, I, I have no clue. Sometimes I don't even know where I'm at. But I do know this. God has my best interest in mind. God, why are, you, why are you allowing me to go through this bitter stuff? It's for your own good. I'm going to test you there. I'm going to prove you there. I'm going to purify you there. I want you to bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.